Your brain is a fascinating and maybe even sometimes mysterious part of anatomy. You think, you move, you feel, and much more as a result of what your brain does. If you want to think even more about your brain, tune in today. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Seth Jump, your professor for Anatomy on the Go. You can find me online at anatomyonthego.com. There, hit subscribe and you'll get my free ebook, Preparing to Ace Anatomy. So in today's episode, we're going inside the brain, this amazing part of the anatomy that enables us to do a ridiculously high number of functions, actions, thoughts, reflexes, reactions, etc. The brain is absolutely fascinating. Let's talk about the intricacies, the smaller parts within the brain that are actually responsible for these different functions. So to start, let's do a high-level overview of the different parts of the brain, the general regions, and the subregions we have. So here we go, first with the general parts of the brain, and then we'll do an overview of these different parts of the brain. So the general parts of the brain include cerebrum, diencephalon, brainstem, and cerebellum. So in general, the cerebrum, top of the brain, you could also refer to this as the cortex, the cerebral cortex. Now here with respect to function, we're talking about conscious thought, intelligence, analytical thinking. It's where you can turn ideas that you have in your, in your mind, in your brain, into words. It's the part of the brain that decides to move another part of your body. And here we integrate sounds and sights. The diencephalon, you can find this embedded inside the lower part of the cerebral hemispheres. It's basically located centrally. The three key components are the epithalamus, the thalamus, and the hypothalamus. Now then, functionally, this area is responsible for being a sensory relay center, movement pathways. Also, it's responsible for control of some very important visceral functions. And we'll get to more specifics later in the podcast. But in general, for the diencephalon, we're talking about control of the autonomic nervous system, that is uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic, regulation of body temperature, regulation of sleep-wake cycles, and there's more. So we'll get to those a little bit later. Then the brainstem. Basically, this connects the upper parts of the brain to the spinal cord. So it's a connection between the cerebrum, diencephalon, and cerebellum, which is coming up to the spinal cord, which is inferior to the brain. The three parts of the brain stem are midbrain, pons, and medulla oblongata. It serves as a bidirectional or two-way highway between major tracts going between the cerebrum and the spinal cord. And then most of the cranial nerves arise at the brain stem. There are two that do not. And we'll talk about those here shortly. And here we're talking about control of some important autonomic nervous system functions as well as some very important reflexes. Then lastly here, the cerebellum. It's located at the base of the brain, posterior to the brain stem, and it makes sense of movement, enabling very precise control of the movements you make, fine motor control during cutting vegetables for dinner, trying not to hit the slice while playing golf, trying to type a little bit faster on the keyboard. 
So it's not going to start these movements. It's actually going to fine-tune them and make them make sense for what you're trying to do. It's also going to embed memories of different types of movement into the storage capacity that it has. So even if you take a decade off from playing the piano, you'll still have those patterns embedded in your cerebellum. You'll lose some, of course, but these neural pathways can be unbelievably resilient. Did you know that the Anatomy on the Go podcast was rated by Feedspot as one of the top 25 human anatomy physiology podcasts? Of course, this is impossible without you, the listener. So thanks for taking time to listen to this podcast. And you can check out the top 25 list in the podcast show notes. But for now, let's go back to the brain. So now that you know the general parts of the brain, let's take a deeper dive into each of these general parts of the brain and get the nuances, different uh, minuscule parts that perform these different functions. So let's start with the cerebrum. Let's talk about the cerebrum and the different lobes that we find there. So if you take off those bones of the skull and dive deeper inside, you'll find that your brain has two halves, uh, a left and a right cerebral hemisphere. And right down midline, we have a cleft, a deep groove called the longitudinal fissure. Now, for the most part, these two hemispheres are separated from each other, except for where there is crosstalk at the corpus callosum, where tracks, which is white matter, go back and forth between the left and the right hemispheres, carrying information back and forth that is necessary. Now, we have five key distinct lobes in the brain that control different important functions in the body. So the frontal lobe, this is where we control higher thought and analysis, critical thinking, making plans, asking yourself questions. Is that true? The primary motor cortex is found in the frontal lobe. So here we're talking about control of skeletal muscles. So you think to yourself, I'm going to pick up that weight and move it. Now, specifically in the frontal lobe, we're talking about the precentral gyrus, to be specific, and this is just anterior to the central sulcus. Another aspect of the frontal lobe is the premotor cortex. This is thought to be uh, planning uh, particular movements located anterior to the precentral gyrus. The motor speech area, broca area, is responsible for moving your mouth in a logical way to make words, and also the muscular patterns needed for breathing. Now, breathing is pretty complex, and we'll talk later about different parts of the brain and how they also interact with respiratory rate, etc., Frontal lobe, we're also talking about frontal eye field, uh, understanding what you're seeing in front of you, and then uh, communicating with other parts of the brain to move your eyes accordingly. So that's the frontal lobe. Now, the parietal lobe, this is where we find the somatosensory cortex, sensory interpretation of objects that we're working with, that we have in front of us in our hands. So what shape is this tool? How does it feel? And specifically, we're talking about the postcentral gyrus in this case. So that's immediately posterior to the central sulcus. In the parietal lobe, we also have key areas, uh, which we'll talk about here shortly as well in more detail. We're talking about the Wernke area and the Gnostic area. The Wernke area is responsible for putting words together so we can understand spoken and written words. The Gnostic area, what it's going to do, it's going to integrate information from different lobes of the brain. So higher level computing here, almost like an algorithm. Your brain is asking various questions or setting up if-then relationships. If I see this and feel this and hear this, then it must be this 
event or this particular object in my house. So parietal lobe working with sensory information. Uh, now temporal lobe. Temporal lobe is responsible for making sense of what we hear and smell. What song is that? What sound do, did I just hear? Which kid just coughed in the middle of the night? Smell. Is that garlic? Is that cumin? Here we make associations with what we already know, how things sound and smell in general. Now, remember the cranial nerves for sound and smell? We're talking about cranial nerve 8 and cranial nerve uh, 1, olfactory nerve. And later we'll talk in more detail about those as well. The occipital lobe is responsible for vision. Here you perceive visual stimuli. What are the things that you're currently seeing in your field of view? So light enters the eyes, travels ultimately through the optic nerve, that's cranial nerve 2, the optic chiasm, uh, the optic tracts, and then ultimately to your occipital lobe. You'll also interpret and associate the visual stimuli here. And then lastly, we have the insula. Uh, here we're talking about taste. You're interpreting the taste that you have, uh, the taste of different foods in your mouth, and then you associate them with different memories. So let's take a look at these ideas as more of like categories and bring in some other ideas to tie it all together. So remember, we have a motor cortex and a sensory cortex. And here we need to talk about an idea called the homunculus. We have a motor homunculus and we have a sensory homunculus. Now, homunculus is basically a visual uh, re representation or distribution of what is dedicated from a motor perspective and a sensory perspective to different parts of our body. So the motor homunculus is tied to the precentral gyrus, just anterior to the central sulcus, and again, it's a visual depiction of the distribution of what the motor cortex innervates. So what nerve circuitry exists for different parts of the body? The more circuits, wiring that exists, the greater the visual association with this area. The hands have a large distribution of innervation, for example. There are a ridiculous number of muscles in your hand, muscles controlling the fine motor movements that you perform many, many times a day. Uh, compare this, for example, with the trunk that has a lesser distribution. It's more gross motor, right? You might use these trunk muscles a lot throughout the day, but the movements are simpler. For the hands, the homunculus is larger. For the trunk, the homunculus is smaller. Sensory homunculus, here you want to think about the post-central gyrus in the parietal lobe, just posterior to the central sulcus. Now, just like the motor homunculus, this is the visual depiction of the distribution of what sensory cortex innervation exists. So there is a large homunculus for fingers, lips, gums, and the genital region. And then like the, hom the motor homunculus, a smaller distribution exists for the trunk. The sensory information from the trunk needs to be just a little bit more binary compared with uh, the other regions there, uh, basically on, off, uh, whereas some of the other regions for the sensory homunculus need this more uh, minute information about what's going on from a sensory perspective. Now, having shared the information from the homunculus, let's go back to what you know from a little earlier in the podcast. The idea here is that of association areas. You can think of the pre- and post-central gyrus as maybe a little bit more binary. So for the pre-central gyrus, motor output goes to the target, yes or no, on or off. And for the post-central gyrus, sensory information comes in, yes or no, on or off. 
The association areas in our brain, as mentioned, are where we make our movements meaningful and where we make sense of what we're sensing. Integration is the key word here. Linking movements and sensations to what we already know, what we've learned. So what we'll do now is we'll actually go through each one of these association areas, talk about where they're located and what their basic purpose is. So let's start with the somatic motor association area. This is in the premotor cortex. It's located anterior to the precentral gyrus, as you know already. And what this area does is coordinate learned, already understood movements that we've already performed before. So like playing the piano, assuming you you have learned to play the piano, you've, given, you've taken lessons and you've practiced, reading an ebook in a logical way with your eyes, and also, for example, cooking. All these are learned movements, things that you've embedded, uh, practiced, done many times before. So these movements are concise and logical when they've been learned. When we first start doing these movements, you can feel awkward and fumbly. There isn't an association area or an association that you can call on within your brain. Then we have the somatosensory association area. We can find this in the parietal lobe. So it's immediately behind, posterior to, the somatosensory cortex we talked about before. Uh, basically, it puts together information about what objects we're, we're holding. Is it smooth? Is it coarse? Is it circular? Is it triangular? Is it liquidy? Is it like Play-Doh? So it integrates information also like hot or cold, shape, hardness or softness, etc. So basically, the first level of sensory information is simply that my hands have an object. There is something there in my hands. Then the next level, the second level, consists of this additional information that you use the brain to integrate, to understand, to make associations. Then we have the visual association area, located in the occipital lobe. This is where you're making sense of what you're seeing. Maybe it's the face of somebody you know from an earlier part of your life. So the first level here is simply somebody's face, the visual stimuli of seeing a face. That information goes to the primary visual area in the occipital lobe. So this is first level information. Then the next levels of information take place in this association area. What do I already know? Whose face is that? Let me think about the different things I've done in my life. My jobs, my schooling. Ah, I've got it. That's Mary from my first job or high school or whatever the case may be for understanding that visual information and integrating it in this association area. Next, we have the auditory association area located in the temporal lobe. So it's adjacent to the primary auditory center in this part of the cortex. And so here, what you're doing is you're, you're listening to the details of a sound, characteristics, the loudness, the beat of a song, etc. And then you're analyzing this sound information in reference to memory or bits of information that is already stored. Oh, okay, I've got it. This is the uh, Led Zeppelin song, or this is a U2 song, or this is my youngest kid's voice, or this is my dog and not the neighbor's dog. You put this information together, you use this information that's associated in the auditory association area. Lastly, for association, we could talk about the Wernicke area, aka Wernicke's area, and the Gnostic area. So you could call the Wernicke area and the Gnostic area, uh, which we'll cover next, is multi-association areas. So they're integrating information from multiple sources. Now for a couple of multi-association areas we could talk about, uh, we could talk about the Wernicke area, aka Wernicke's area, and then also the Gnostic area. So you could call the Wernicke area and the Gnostic area, which we'll cover next, is multi-association areas. They integrate 
uh, from multiple sources. So since Wernicke's area is responsible for comprehension of both written and uh, heard speech, because it's basically either integrating uh, visual or hearing information together, uh, it's a multi-association area. So in contrast with Broca's area, Broca's area is responsible for how we are using our muscles to produce words. We have Wernicke's area, which is responsible for comprehension. So therefore, it's integrating information from a, a few different sources. And then we have the Gnostic area, which is responsible for integrating uh, parietal, occipital, and temporal lobe information. So you see a little bit of daylight creeping through the drawn curtains, you smell coffee, and you hear the birds chirping you know it must be morning. Or you're at the concession stand getting a beer at a baseball game. You hear the crack of a bat. You hear the crowd starting to cheer and then cheering even louder. You see the jumbotron uh, out of your peripheral vision uh, flashing. And then you hear and smell the fireworks. Ah, of course, somebody from the home team just hit a home run. So for locations here, for Wernicke's area, we're talking about the temporal lobe. And then the Gnostic area is basically encompassing parts of temporal, parietal, and occipital and integrating the information from these different sources. Now we have within the brain this, this idea of white matter and gray matter. In general, the way the brain is set up is that we have gray matter toward the surface of the brain, and then white matter is located deep to the gray matter toward the inner part of the brain. The white matter is composed of myelinated axons. These are grouped into bundles, and the bundles are referred to as tracts. There are three types of tracts that we have in the brain. We have association tracts, commissural tracts, and projection tracts. Association tracts connect different parts of the brain within the same hemisphere, either within the left or within the right hemisphere. An example would be arcuate fibers. These connect adjacent gyri, like the premotor cortex, with the primary motor cortex, same lobe of the brain. We also have longitudinal fasciculi, which connect gyri within different lobes of the brain, but the same hemisphere. An example would be the Wernicke's area with the motor speech area, Broca's area. Commissural tracts pass between the hemispheres. Examples would be the corpus callosum and the anterior commissure and the posterior commissure. Then we have projection tracts. These connect the cerebral cortex with inferior brain regions. And so these would be the diencephalon, the brainstem, the cerebellum, as well as the spinal cord. So a key example of this is the corticospinal tract, and these are motor axons. There's another important idea for the brain that we call lateralization. This is the idea that although the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the brain seem the same, they actually have some key differences. You've probably heard the basic descriptions of people as left-brained or right-brained. We could call the left brain, that is the left hemisphere, the categorical hemisphere. We could call the right brain, that is the right hemisphere, the representational hemisphere. Uh, so what does this mean exactly? In most people, the left hemisphere is the categorical hemisphere. It is specialized for language, sequential and analytical thought, such as those used in science, math, engineering, etc. The idea is that this part of the brain groups things into categories, and even into smaller categories or fragments, bits of information. The right hemisphere, in most people that is, is the representational hemisphere. It is specialized for visual-spatial understanding, so understanding visual-spatial relationships as well as analyzing these relationships, imagination and insight, the aptitude of music skill, artistic skill, 
recognizing patterns, comparison of data from the senses, sight, sound, smell, and taste, and then integrating this data, making sense of it. Now, you've probably heard about the idea of handedness and lateralization. In right-handed people, for the most part, the left brain is the categorical hemisphere, but not all people. Whereas in left-handed people, there tends to be a little less rigid of a relationship in this regard. And of course, for any part of the brain that we're talking about, research is ongoing. So we'll probably in, in a decade have even a more nuanced, or even a few years, a more nuanced understanding of this whole idea of lateralization. Now, the last part that we'll chat about today for the cortex is this idea of structures called cerebral nuclei. These are also known as basal nuclei, and so they're paired. They're gray matter located deep within the white matter of the brain. They're collections of cell bodies. So we have uh, a few that we'll talk about today. We'll talk about the caudate, the amygdaloid body, the lentiform, and the colostrum. So uh, the caudate, this the caudate nuclei, these help to coordinate movement, like the rhythm of how we move our arms and legs during walking, for example. Also, we could talk about its role in learning and the reward system in our brain. The amygdaloid body, we'll talk about this in relation to the limbic system shortly, but here we're talking about the expression of emotions and also how we develop moods. The lentiform nuclei consists of putamen and globus pallidus, The putamen controls muscular movement beyond our conscious control at the subconscious level. And then the globus pallidus is almost like a relay center that controls how much muscle contraction we need. It does this by either exciting or inhibiting the thalamus. And then lastly, the colostrum. This is responsible for, at a subconscious level, the colostrum processes visual information and visual data. So I'm fascinated by how many different levels and layers of the cortex we have, from the different lobes to the association areas to the nuclei. So there's a deeper dive into into the cerebral cortex. And so what we'll do now is we're going to move on to the diencephalon, and we'll talk about the different parts of the diencephalon uh, before we dive into the final parts, the uh, brainstem and the cerebellum. So diencephalon, where is that in in the brain? We're talking about inferior and centrally within the brain. And we have three key parts of the diencephalon. They are epithalamus, thalamus, and hypothalamus. Now, first, epithalamus. This is an area within the diencephalon that serves as the roof of the diencephalon. And it covers a structure called the third ventricle. Now, the third ventricle enables the circulation of cerebrospinal fluid, uh, short for CSF. And we'll talk about that in another podcast episode. But a key gland that we find in the epithalamus is called the pineal gland. Now, the pineal gland, what the heck does that do? It's responsible for secretion of melatonin. And then melatonin is responsible for regulation of sleep-wake cycles. So levels go high at night to induce sleep. They are lower in the morning as we wake up. Now, some people actually use melatonin as a sleep aid. You can get it over the counter. And it's, it's, the purpose basically is to induce sleep, uh, to help you get to sleep a little bit faster, since melatonin uh, is responsible for uh, induction of sleep. So, 
Uh, what else do we have in the diencephalon? We have the thalamus as well. This is a massive gray matter. It's paired. It's located on either side of the third ventricle, which we talked about here related to the epithalamus. So inside the thalamus, like the cerebrum, there are various nuclei. And the role of the thalamus is to filter and redirect incoming sensory information. So we don't have to deal with it all, right? So think of this almost like a traffic cop at an intersection. Different cars come up to the intersection from different directions. Some cars are going straight, some are going left, some are going right. The cop needs to figure out which direction the car approaching needs to go. The officer needs to determine if there are cars coming from any other direction and then direct them accordingly. Plus, it's usually the case that there's not just one traffic cop at the intersection. The, the cop also needs to sort of coordinate on, a, on some level with the other cops, determine uh, what they're doing as well. The levels of sophistication, however, I think it's safe to say is even more complex than this, almost to the level of air traffic control with thousands and thousands of, of airplanes. So sensory information of a variety of types, visual, auditory, etc. So then the thalamus determines what kind of sensory information it is, and it projects this information to the somatosensory cortex. The thalamus filters out a ton of extraneous information. Let's say you're in a busy crowd. There are so many sights and sounds that really aren't relevant. The information isn't actionable or relevant to what you need to do. And so it filters this out for the most part. And for now, let's leave the various thalamic nuclei in place where they lie and come back to these a little bit later in more detail. But lastly, today, what we want to talk about is the hypothalamus, the final part of the diencephalon. It's an anterior and inferior part of the diencephalon. It has a bunch of functions. It's the master controller of the autonomic nervous system, the endocrine system, it regulates body temperature, it controls emotional behavior, it controls food intake, it controls water intake, and it regulates circadian rhythms. Now within the hypothalamus, there are some key nuclei that are responsible, that are in charge of these functions. The anterior nucleus is the thirst center. The arcuate nucleus is for appetite regulation, for gonadotropin-releasing hormone, growth hormone-releasing hormone. The mammillary body is in control of swallowing. There is a paraventricular nucleus and a supraoptic nucleus. These are responsible for production of oxytocin, an antidiuretic hormone, ADH. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone, and antidiuretic hormone is responsible for uptake of water. So in addition to serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin is responsible for those good feelings we have when we bond to uh, family and friends. And ADH is interesting because we have alcohol inhibits this hormone. So if you happen to have a couple beers at the, at the pub, you're actually going to have to go to the bathroom more than you would otherwise because it's inhibiting ADH and basically uh, inhibiting uptake of water in your kidneys. Within the hypothalamus, we also have the preoptic area. This is the body's thermostat. The suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is a regulator of circadian rhythm. And the ventromedial nucleus. This is a hunger satisfaction area. So basically asking and answering the question, if I'm hungry, am I hungry right now? If I'm hungry, what do I need to do to get food? So primitive human beings had to figure this out a lot more strategically and carefully than we do in, in current everyday life. But with this, there's also a cascade of different hormones that control appetite, suppression of appetite. It's a pretty fascinating area. 
Well, thank you for joining me in today's part one of Going Inside the Brain. Uh, In the next episode, we'll take a deeper dive into uh, the brainstem, and we'll talk about the cerebellum as well. There's a lot here. And so I find the brain particularly challenging because it's really difficult to know where to stop because there's so much information and the research is heavily ongoing in these different parts of the brain. So what we'll do in the next episode is we'll finish off the content for the brain. We'll also do like a little summary uh, and synthesis of this content. And so I'll see you in that particular part two in the next one that drops here, episode 52. So take care. And until the next episode drops, all the very best. Good luck with your studying. I'll see you later.